Greetings, Sardo here. That's Sardo. No mister, accent of the dough. And you're listening to Monsters, Madness, and Magic. And remember to visit Sardo's Magic Mansion for all your mystical needs. That's it. Today? Monsters, Madness, and Magic. <laughs> All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, Angelique and myself chat with actor Richard M. Dumont about growing up in Canada, voice directing, theater, Sardo. No, mister. Accent on the dough. Are you afraid of the dark? And more. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Slash and cast. Boils and ghouls, this is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> So we have a platform to jump off here, Richard. Why don't you take us back in time to when you were a youngster? You know, were you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? You know, I'm, I was all of the above and throw Alter Boy in there too, would you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yes, all of the above. Uh, I wasn't, I became a real voracious reader when I was in my late teens, I think. Uh, but as a, as a, as a youngin, I, I, I wasn't, frankly, I wasn't, but I was so taken by sitcoms, by the, you know, <laughs> sitcoms at that time friend and i in school used to watch uh television at night watch whatever variety show was on or whatever comedy show was on and then uh once a week the teacher would allow us at the end of class she would give us 15 minutes and we would basically know that routine and this is the you know i'm sad to date myself in this way but this is the uh, before iphones and all the rest of it where we'd literally have to remember what we saw several nights before if we're lucky i may have jotted down a you know a line or two set up set up punch <laughs> but uh we would and we would do it in front of the class and she um she uh our teacher at the time she would just just let us go so anyway that was my that was my initiation into uh into it i think into entertainment if that's what i can call it <laughs> Because it wasn't that. Believe me, in grade three, it wasn't that. <laughs> wasn't entertainment. <laughs> so when you think back to your formative years, when it comes to uh, films and TV shows that you grew up on and sort of helped mold you, what comes to mind? Oh boy, I'm telling you, honestly. Um, certainly, uh, and this is really going to date me. The Smothers Brothers. That was a that was a yeah. big one. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember the Smothers Brothers variety show. That was certainly one. I remember when I was a kid watching the Ed Sullivan show with my grandfather and Red Skelton. That's that's, that's mm. how far back. God, I just love those people. I thought they were just, I just thought they were the funniest men and women that I'd ever, ever, ever could hope to meet. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and they were, they were. I mean, it was classic, uh, it was classic comedy. And those certainly, um, you know, Jackie Gleason watching the uh, the reruns of The Honeymooners. I mean, all that really helped to uh, to mold me as a, um, as a person who could appreciate uh, and even to some extent perform comedy. That was, that was my training ground. And then as you know, or maybe you don't know, I, I went on to uh, be with Second City out of Toronto. I remember going to see Second City when I was, um, God, I was in high school, I think. And then people like Eugene Levy, John Candy, Martin Short, Dave Thomas, Catherine O'Hara. Those are the people I am. Um, Dan Aykroyd's uh, brother, Peter Aykroyd. Those are the people that I used to go and and watch and i mean i would go several times a month uh mm -hmm. go to second city go to the old fire hall i remember going to see 
Oh God, I don't know how many times I saw God's spell in Toronto when I was in grade, um, I think grade nine, I think something like that. And Eugene Levy was playing um, Christ. But what a cast. I mean, Martin Short was in that cast. Andrea Martin was in that cast. Eugene Levy playing the Christ figure. I mean, it was just an unbelievable cast. And I went so many times to see that. That just helped me with my with my humor. And I was fortunate enough to actually get into Second City one day, so I was on top of the world. <laughs> what about your parents, Richard? Were they involved in the arts at all? No, they weren't. My dad was in the Air Force, RCAF. He did his uh, hitch during the uh, the Korean War, the Korean conflict. No, no, my mother was not. My mother worked at a, uh, a bank when uh, when they first got married, and then when she started to, uh, they started to have children. Uh, my mother um, became a, um, a house mom, if you will. Mm. I want a better expression? That's a terrible expression. But she stayed at home with the uh, with and helped to raise us in that way. And it wasn't until we got into, myself and my sister anyway, there's five of us, into high school, that's when my mom went back to work. So do you have a eureka moment that you can point to, maybe a specific play or performance that you saw where your own interest sort of spiked? Well, you know what? It's, uh, to tell you the truth, um, Godspell was uh, predated um, my, my times at Second City and, and Eugene Levy's for that matter by maybe two years maybe so i'd say it would be godspell first followed immediately by by second city those were the two eureka moments big time for me without a doubt eugene levy was was in well he still is i mean he's incredible it's funny how life is i'm i'm voice directing um dustin milligan who plays uh, the veterinarian on on schitt's creek i don't know if you're familiar with the series at all. okay well him yeah, uh, i've done uh, four seasons uh with him of a car i can talk about it now because i had an nda but on uh, agent john and he plays agent john okay. uh, animated series that's playing uh, now on um certainly on CBC and he's just this guy is so smart so funny he caught on there's a method that we use called the rhythmo band where you're seeing the image on the screen and then the lines of dialogue follow underneath they 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 travel at a fairly good clip from right to left across the screen when it hits the lines hit a bar that's when you have to to speak and the theory is you'll be in sync so it sinks end. up the the mouth okay that's exactly, awesome exactly exactly and not a lot of people who aren't trained in it catch on to it quite as quickly as Dustin did. He, she, just a natural. I can't begin, because I've been doing this a long time. I can't begin to tell you how how rare that is. And he's he, he's just, I can't say enough about him. So I've directed him for four seasons. I think we'll be going into our fifth, uh, I don't know if I should say that, but rumor <laughs> has it. Rumor we can leave it out, you know. <laughs> we'll be going into a, a, a fifth season that we may start in February. I've never met him <laughs> so i've been voice directing him he's been in los angeles uh los angeles toronto he was in vancouver various places he, his home base he's canadian but his home base is in fact um i think it's Tallulah lake i think or silver lake in in california so i've never met him i see him on camera like i'm seeing you right uh, yes. directing him but never met him <laughs> you know and we just ah, we, we have a bunch of stories mostly about eugene uh <laughs> And da, 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 da. and um, and I've never met the man, but he's just as nice as nice as hell. I'll tell you a quick, a very quick story about that. Coming to you now from Montreal. So this is last winter, and we hit a day here where it was minus forty degrees Celsius, minus forty degrees, darn cold. So I'm talking. I'm directing him that day. I'm talking to him, and I said, "How's the weather down there?" He said, "Ah, oh, it's 69 right now. It's supposed to go up to 73." Oh, really? Huh? Oh, very nice. Very nice. Uh, it's uh, it's minus 40 here. <laughs> and he said, "Richard, do you know where I'm from?" And I said, "No," because I didn't. He said, "I'm from Yellowknife." <laughs> now Yellowknife gets much colder than what I just described. It gets much colder than minus 40. <laughs> So, uh, so he said, yeah, we used to go for Halloween. We'd have our big ski suits and snowsuits on underneath our costumes. I mean, that's <laughs> damn cold, damn cold. Him and um, uh, Margot Kidder. Those are the two people from uh, Yellow Knife that I know. I don't even, I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent there. Eh? We we're talking about something or another. We love tangents. <laughs> yeah, tangents are what the show's about. Dustin <laughs> reared his ugly head. <laughs> and, and the conversation took a took a left. <laughs> so Richard, what time do you begin yourself to take stage a bit more seriously and think that you could you know pursue this as a potential career? You know, I always did um, the assemblies. They would get me to be the MC of assemblies in primary school. So yeah, that's how desperate they were for entertainment. 
Scarborough, Ontario. <laughs> but when I got into high school, I was lucky enough to to fall in with a um, a bunch of guys who were just incredibly funny. We became the assembly committee, so we would write all the assemblies for for our high school shows and that sort of thing. Taking you know doing the plays. I, the big thing was uh, to raise money. I went to a, a separate a Catholic separate high school in uh, in Don Mills in North York. And we would be raising money for one thing or another, school uniforms, uh, you know, jerseys for the basketball team, whatever. And one of them was we would put on a, a musical play with a real director, a real musical director as well, just a huge cast. That was one of the ways we would raise, uh, the school would raise money. We put it on, I think, for a full week, like a Monday through Friday thing or a Wednesday through Sunday, whatever it was. And we would uh, do plays. So the first play I was involved with was, I remember going to see the plays before I went to that high school, like the year before I went to the high school. I think they put on the music man and i loved it and this is an orchestra it was like a 12-piece orchestra orchestra it's almost in a pit almost i mean the real thing trombones trumpets i mean the real mccoy we did uh so i saw them do the music man which is great to hear that that kind of music from a real band yeah then uh so the, the year that i did get go into the school they did little abner and i played senator fogbound i don't know if you know the play at all but anyway i i did the senator fogbound and i just loved it <laughs> <laughs> and the following year we did um we did guys and dolls and i was lucky enough to get Nathan Detroit. So I got, you know, the lead, the second lead uh, in, in the play. And it was just top of the world again, Ma. It was just wonderful. So those, you were talking about Eureka moments, yeah. those certainly all sort of snowballed into that big Eureka moment. I said, I've got to do this. Medicine has always been a second love of mine. My uncle's a, well, he, he just retired. He's a, pedi a pediatric cardiologist mm -hmm. and a pediatrician in Los Angeles, or was until last year. And it's, uh, medicine's always been a favorite of mine. So I went to UCLA, which is kind of my uncle's alma mater. I went to UCLA for three years, uh, taking, um, going for my Bachelor of Science, because I was going to go to, into obstetrics and gynecology. That was my field, I wanted what I wanted to go into. And I started taking comedy at night with Jerry Paris. Now, do you know, does that name mean anything at all to you, Jerry not, Paris? Not, not the top of my head. It rings the bell, but I can't put my finger on it. Jerry Paris, well, Gary Marshall developed the uh, the series Certain Happy Days, but Gary Marshall directed with Gary, uh, with Gary I'm sorry, uh, Jerry Paris with Gary Marshall directed m most of them, I think, most of them. He also played the dentist, Jerry Helper, uh, next to, on uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. That's Jerry Paris. Gotcha. So at UCLA, he was giving a comedy course, and I took it. I was working at, uh, I was going to UCLA, and I was taking, I was working at UCLA Hospital, so I had freaking limited, because I needed the tuition money. I had limited time, and I took this course, so it was like, I think two hours every other day or two hours maybe twice a week man gosh what i learned from that man he was just incredible and he'd bring people in like you know the then not as big as he is today ron howard i mean uh, he would bring in a bunch of people for us to uh you know, to meet and they would share their experiences and, and and jerry would too and he would teach us a lot taught me anyway i thought a lot about comedy but timing mostly so that was something that i enjoyed and i forget the question now why am i talking about jerry paris and ucl at all loves of mine and all the rest of it but there you go there you go oh, okay yes uh so medicine was always a second love of mine so doing this i thought i gotta do this i've got to do this when i was taking the course with jerry paris i, said, I got to do this so i wrote back home to my mom and, and to my dad and said you know this I, i'd really like to pursue acting i really really would i applied for ryerson theater school when i was down in la when i was down in california and i uh, got accepted for a an audition to what you had to audition for the uh, the course and they said okay look if you come back and if you're accepted do it for one year and then at the end of that one year if it's not working out promise us that you'll go back to medicine and i made them that promise i said yeah so i came back home to toronto auditioned for ryerson theater school and was accepted and then i just i, I didn't look back after that frankly yeah so your initial move to the U.S. was simply just to go to college for medicine? Yeah, we got my bachelor's of science down there and then to pursue it at uh, UCLA, yes. I was already working in the hospital. I was uh, working as a, an orderly in the ER. Yeah, so I did that, uh, did that for, well, the whole time I was there pretty much. So let me ask you this. We talk to a lot of folks who do voiceover work, and more times than not, they'll point to taking improv as almost a necessity to mm -hmm. sort of excel in that field. Is that something that you agree with? You see that you would uh, tell someone to take improv? 
yeah well just and i'm 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 biased because that is the way that i i came through was a second city that helped me tremendously with regard to putting together because you had to do different voices you had to do different i'm sorry you had to do different characters and with those uh that multitude the plethora of, of characters you would you know more times than not put use a different voice to suit that character so that 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 really helped me so i am i i am somewhat biased with regard to uh to improv and it's certainly helped me that's that's for sure but you know i was just talking about jerry paris and this is something i haven't thought about in in years is that jerry paris had said that um that people do or do not have a funny bone now you can there can be really good actors who can do comedy i've seen and experienced really good comedians who can really act i don't know i don't know if a good actor can necessarily make a good comedian some can that's for sure but i know more than a few really good comedians who can be and are really good actors so i think it's, it's, a, it's, scales it's balance, part of the but, blood you know that, yeah. that's the thing if, if comedy's not in your blood you know sure you can be funny if mm -hmm. you're told what to say and how to do it but you can't necessarily you know like a comedian share your life experiences and it be innately funny at the same time that's true that's true and i don't know if anybody can really teach you timing i think that's something that's right. in you. you can hone it that's for sure i think that's for sure in my opinion but can they teach you timing okay well I'll wait for the punch okay here's the setup the setup now wait for the crest wait for the and now you know Boom, drop it uh, yeah yeah, exactly. And the set up, set up, blow. Set up, set up, blow. You know? So, yeah. Can that be taught? Uh, maybe it can. Maybe it can. But I think you need to have that inner timing, too. You can, Comedy's I, like fighting. You know, you have to know when to, you know, swing that left. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you can't drop that left shoulder. The, the audience sees it coming. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, foreshadowing. Oh, I can see this. Oh, here's where the joke's going to go. What? Listen to this. Listen to this. Yeah, you don't want that eye. You don't want that eye. <laughs> so, Richard, during your time on stage, did you have any favorite roles to play? Any that stick out as your personal um, favorites? Yeah, well, I did a, a play here when I, I'm in Montreal right now, and uh, I uh, moved here from Toronto. My whole family's still in Toronto. I did a play here. I came here with Second City. We played here twice and i i really like montreal i really really did and then my my troupe which was kind of comprised and composed of ex second city people called um the acme harpoon company we came to southern we played toured all through southern ontario and started going to southern quebec which is for us in english really montreal and i came back to montreal third time and i just i said i i, I, I love it here we played at a theater that's no longer around for i think four months i believe and i decided to stay well when i decided to stay i auditioned for a play that wasn't well it was improv but it wasn't improv called sheer madness it to today holds the record for the longest running english language play in theater history in in quebec Shit. Uh, yeah we played for a little over two years a little over two years which you know i mean i, there's, I know there's a lot of plays that, that do go longer than that certainly but here in english uh, in montreal that's that that's quite record-breaking and that i think is probably my favorite role it was tony whitcomb certainly the most memorable anyway tony whitcomb um it's a it's a sort of a it's a a murder mystery but it's there's so much improv in it because at one point there's the there's the the murder it happens the audience we don't see the murder happen it happens it's in a in a triplex and then the murder happens on the top floor the bottom floor is a is a hairstyling salon where i work i own it and the middle floor is where i live and the top floor is where the landlady owner of the building works who you never see she's murdered to the very very top you know, the top of the plate you never see her so at one point that the fourth wall comes down and it's the audience who heard and saw everything people were going in and, and out during the uh the initial scene where the the woman was mrs Cherney, i think was it Cherney? i think it was Cherney, where she was murdered and and they said well okay so suddenly the fourth wall comes down police officer come uh, the police officers come in they're starting to question the audience okay now you all saw what happened we're going to ask you a few questions if anybody can help us with uh with that and so the audience will ask questions of the people on stage I think five of us maybe six of us on stage at that point who could easily have committed the crime and so the audience would ask us questions and so in that way there, yes you got the same questions you got a lot of those but you got a lot that you know out in left field so there was a lot of improv uh, involved and that's um where my second city days really came in uh, handy that's for sure that's probably my favorite uh role though that sounds 20, really cool. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. It really, really was. I think it's still playing in Boston, and I want to say it's been twenty years or damn close to it. I think it's still playing in Boston. 
Are you still active on the stage at all? When's the last time you on on stage? I haven't done stage for a while. I I did a lot of it, and frankly, meh. Mm, <laughs> you know, I'm, right. I'm not I'm not you know keen to go back. Hey, if the right part was offered to me, and especially if it was a short run, I would do it. There's a friend of mine who's an unbelievable actor and s such a director as well, and we've been kidding each other for the last couple of years anyway about mounting uh the odd couple him and i doing it together i don't know so uh anyway that's just 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 us talking right so that's how uh, i get started yeah but you know what yeah you're right mm -hmm. you're absolutely right and if it was him and i doing it because I, I i we've never had the privilege of working together i've never had the privilege or the honor of working with him because he's just i mean it he's he's brilliant i would love to do that I would also love it to be a short run, <laughs> three to maybe four weeks. You know? If I could do it from my bedroom, even better. No, even now better. you're talking. Yeah, now, oh yeah. now you're talking. I'll, I'll, I'll do a longer run. I'd stretch that to maybe six weeks. <laughs> so, Richard, how did that first transition to screen happen for you? I think I was just sort of doing extra work. I didn't do, outside of doing um, bits on, on TV with Second City back in the day and, and Acme Harpoon, I didn't do like roles until I came to Montreal. Did, you know, like extra work, you know, like uh, not even day player stuff. I mean, extra work, which, you know, helped uh, certainly to, to pay the bills. There was a lot of filming going on in, in Montreal at that time, and there certainly is today. And I would do, uh, do extra work. And then I graduated from that doing you know like not secondary roles but third category roles you know that, that sort of thing right so that that's how it's the screen anyway that's how that started for me and then i was lucky enough to uh, audition for nickelodeon for uh, are you afraid of the dark what has become some something of an iconic uh, character sardo so oh <laughs> yes yes my oh, childhood yeah. <laughs> we're all big sardo fans here oh great oh great <laughs> Well, that role was, you know, it's it's the role that, that just keeps on giving. It, it really, really is. I didn't realize how much it uh, how much it meant to uh, to people. Certainly, when I was uh, doing it, it was a one off. I was that character as anyone from Nickelodeon or any of the creators, DJ or Mikhail or, or the directors, mostly Ron Oliver. Both of them now now friends of mine. They'll tell you. I mean, that Sardo was never meant to come back. It just happened. It was just so much fun, and the character was uh, was liked that they brought him back and then brought him back. And I think I did seven or eight of them. It was Doctor Vink and myself mm -hmm. were tied. How many comebacks we had, and I beat him by one. So, <laughs> take that, think. <laughs> Put that in your crons, chew you on nut it. Nutbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you nutbag. <laughs> you and Bobo. <laughs> yeah, so that was just a wonderful, uh, just a wonderful character to play. Oh, they were just so kind to me. I mean, first of all, it was in giving me that uh, that role. Excuse me, <clears throat> just getting over a cold. Sorry, uh, in giving me that role and then to uh, bringing him back. As they say, he just uh, Sardo just became uh, that kind of a character. There was, um, I think it was three Halloweens ago. I'm trying to remember the name of the theater, which I think was the Royal Theater in Toronto. They had Dr. Vink, myself, two of the guys from the uh, the campfire brigade, if you will, and uh, somebody else who's, I can't remember who the other person was. Anyway, they invited us there for a Halloween, Are You Afraid of the Dark? They were showing, I think, three episodes and then having a uh, meet and greet afterwards, us on stage, and the audience would ask us you know, questions. I pulled up to the theater, which I think was the Royal, I pulled up to the theater in a, a cab. First of all, I was told by the organizers that it sold out in an hour and a half, this theater, so to see this. Okay, all right, fine, okay. <laughs> I pull, my, my hand to God. I pull up to the theater in the cab, and I, my hand to God, there is a lineup around the freaking block. Now, I've heard that expression many times you know, in my career. There was a lineup around the block. I couldn't believe it. So they, they screened the episodes. We came out, the, you know, talked. Uh, we were in costume as well. That they wanted us <laughs> to do that, so we did. It was just a hoot. And then the lineup to come up and and sign, you know, pictures or you know, autographs, whatever. That went from the stage lip all the way to the back of the theater into the lobby. It was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, how much are you, not, not only uh, Sardo, but how much are you afraid of the dark really, really stayed with people. It really, really did. It's the only series I know that was on, I forget how many seasons they first did. Was it four? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Went off the air for like a year and a half. 
Then they brought it back. Demand from the audience was such that they brought it back. Now, some of that had to do with syndication, I'm sure. But I've never heard that. I'm sure it's happened. I just I just don't know when that's happened. But it did happen for Are You Afraid of the Dark? It was that was off. my Saturday night. I mean, oh, that was Nick, you know, I can't, I, I can't tell you how many times I got in trouble because the younger kids that were living with us would sneak up while I was watching Are You Afraid of the Dark? And they would get scared. <laughs> oh, they yeah. would run and tell and you shouldn't be watching that no i'm yeah. fine <laughs> get them out of here this is my time <laughs> oh yo some of them were scary i mean i let's face it started was the comic relief fine and that was happy to do that it was great some of the uh, episodes though the ones that i generally ones that I, I wasn't in started wasn't in were scary some of them were scary well, your first one, the, the super specs, that one was oh, yeah. terrifying to me. Yeah. The concept of, you know, a parallel dimension. No, yeah. no, thank you. <laughs> now, it's funny you mentioned the, you know, case of the super specs. I mean, if you think about it at the end, do you remember we're in that, we're in the globe. Do you remember yeah, the that? crystal ball. In the crystal ball. So that means that every, every subsequent visitation, every subsequent episode that Sardo was in happened before that episode because we were taking, we were, right. yeah, we were off. So everything Unless Sardo figured it out because no, well, he didn't, he's not that smart. <laughs> yeah, accidentally, accidentally, so you might think Sardo was never uh, malicious in no. my mind. He was just kind of a grifter, but sometimes he could stumble on something, you know, and just oh yeah, go I meant to do that. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> go with it, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's very, very true. It's like that snake oil salesman or whatever the heck the, the term is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was just, you know, whatever he could sell to make that buck, really. Mm -hmm. And when things uh, did happen that he he had an object and said, okay, well, this will open up a door to the universe and you will be there. And if it happened, whoa, 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 well, yes, I know. I, I, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> that was his whole thing. That was mm -hmm. his whole thing. I love I loved it. I, you know, and it really was, uh, especially the scarier episodes, it really was kind of like a, a Twilight Zone for kids. Yeah, that's exactly oh, what it was. Right? And with all the uh, Camp Brown kids. Say for my generation, this is our Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. That's it exactly. And Super Specs, you're talking about that. That was one that Ron Oliver did direct. He, um, it was That was the day before, you know, computer-generated graphics and all CGI and all the rest of it. When that room was moving, when we had the seance, that was the engineers and the techies off stage. The whole stage was on big coiled springs. And you know, and they were moving it down with these pedals and moving it so it would do that. That was like that was the real McCoy. Yeah. It really was. It was, quite, it was quite something. It was it was it was, it was great. <laughs> that stuff was fun. <laughs> Look at it now and you think, oh man, I I don't I don't know. I haven't seen super super specs in a while. I don't know or magic. It holds up. Does it really? It holds yeah? up very well, yeah. I just that's, watched it again this morning. So. <laughs> really? yeah. Oh, that's oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And some iconic, uh, iconic for Sardo anyway. Some of his best lines came uh, out of that. That Ron would let us improvise. I mean, that have you seen our vomit and, and all that? You know all that. That was stuff that Ron just <laughs> let children. me do. Yeah, yeah, that too. Ron, let me do that. You know that that wasn't in the script either. And Ron was just uh, and still is um, just a very giving um, director and allowed you that sort of uh, that room and flexibility. He directed me and um, it was nice enough to have me on board for uh, Dennis uh, the Menace Christmas with Robert Wagner and uh, for the uh, the Beethoven that uh, was shot in uh, in Halifax. We did that Beethoven's Treasure uh, that Ron Oliver directed both of those. Ron Ron Oliver does uh, if you look him up, he does one heck. Of a lot of Christmas uh, these. I, I think I want to say he's got six or at least seven under his belt right now. And, and good ones. Good ones, too. And I get nothing for saying that. I don't get a dime. <laughs> Not a dime from Ron Oliver saying that. <laughs> Richard, we, we've been talking about Dr. Vink, Aaron Tager, and obviously, I don't know, but he passed He passed a few years ago. So I just yeah. wanted to ask you if you had any memories from set that you could share about you and Dr. Vink or anything like well, that. Aaron was a, a wonderful stage director, and I saw him a couple of times uh, on stage, uh, and he was just, just wonderful him and his wife Anne. but i remember the one that we did together uh um, oh god please forgive me because uh, tale of the cutters uh yeah cutter's cutter. treasure thank you yeah. thank you thank you that was a double header right mm -hmm. 
and that was the only time that our two characters were uh, were together. And so it was just a, a privilege uh, to work with him on one of the hottest days of the summer <laughs> that I can remember. I think we squint through through ninety percent of that movie. When any of the outdoor shots were both like, oh, oh man, it was hot and sunny. But no, that that was it. The smell of the uh, the glue on his beard. I remember that <laughs> the smell of the glue. But uh, no, we we had a good time. We we it was so nice to have because the audience wanted that too they wanted to see vink and, and sardo together and it was it was written that way it was just wonderful it was that was a good episode my personal favorite episode anytime you get sardo and vink together i also like to tell the midnight madness which might be my personal favorite uh no that's not the one i was thinking about the one with frank Corshin. that was that was also one of my favorites you know frank you know frank Corshin, don't you? Mm-hmm. And, the, riddler, the, the, yeah. the riddler exactly the original oh, riddler. <laughs> Well, I remember I was talking to you earlier about my grandfather and us watching uh, Red Skelton and the Ed Sullivan show. I remember Frank Gorshin, because he started off as an impressionist, right? Uh, Frank Gorshin, he was very, very good. I remember watching him on uh, the Ed Sullivan show. I remember him coming out and I remember he did this imitation of Burt Lancaster. And I've got a Burt Lancaster story. A Burt Lancaster that was just incredible. And when I met him, I had, first of all, I had no idea that he was playing the brother. I had no idea whatsoever until we got to the read through that day. There's Frank, that's Frank Gorsh. That's, that's it. People go, huh? The Frank, uh, you forget it. <laughs> and talking to him and say, telling him the story I just told you that I, I watched him the Ed Sullivan show with my granddad. And I said, I remember you doing Burt Lancaster and that thing. Want to see my bird? And he went, oh my God, you're doing my act. You're doing my act from 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the first pr- and I uh, anybody who wants cares to hear the story I, I I do tell them it he had it, it looked like an old style transistor radio maybe about yay big as opposed to maybe that but yay big with an antenna on it and he was constantly checking the stock market he was constantly checking his stocks and I'd never seen anything like that before now of course see it all the time you know, an iPhone or what have you but the uh, the reception was such a, like as you probably know in, in, in Montreal there's a mountain uh in the middle and they've got big towers on on that mountain he got great reception and he was just he'd be constantly looking at the at this readout if you will on this transistor radio looking at it, oh oh i'm up i'm up i'm up oh i'm down i'm down i'm down no no i'm up i'm up i'm up <laughs> all day long he'd be checking this he was such a nice man he was a, he was a very he was really nice to me bert lancaster <laughs> now that you ask bert lancaster. <laughs> i was going to uh, Okay, well, I was talking about those third uh, category uh, characters that I would play. Burt Lancaster did a film um, here in Montreal. It was on P.T. Barnum, uh, where he played P.T. Barnum. And I was his man Friday. I think my name was Hummel or something like that, as I recall. Anyway, I knew that Burt Lancaster was going to be in there. I was very excited about that because he was a favorite of my mom's. And I was very excited to be to be working with him and I have a three-day shoot with him. So I'm in my early call. I think I was there like, 5.30, quarter to 6 in the morning. I'm in the makeup trailer in front. Okay, so there's like three, almost like a barber barber chairs, if you will, in a row. And I'm sitting one of them. There's nobody else in the place except the hairstylist, myself, and the, uh, and the makeup lady. And in front of me is a mirror, probably four to maybe five feet tall and about... I don't know, 15 feet long. Took up the whole double trailer in front of these uh, these barber chairs. So I'm sitting there. I'm getting made up. Da, 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 da. In my fearless presence come in behind me and plunk right in the barber chair next to me. So I walk in the mirror because you can't do anything else except look in the mirror. And there's Burt Lancaster. Good morning. <laughs> good, good, good morning, Mr. Lancaster. How are you? <laughs> and, and I turn around and she's doing, the lady's doing my hair and that. And I, you can't look anywhere else. There's nowhere else to look except in this huge ass big mirror right in front of you with Mr. Burt Lancaster sitting right beside you. And, I, and I'm sweating like, a, I'm, I'm just sweating. I don't know what to say to this man. I've got no conversation I can think of. You know, like, how was, uh, was Jack Haley back in the day? Do you know Mr. Tony Curtis? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> 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 at all. And he was just so pleasant. And I did, you know, at one point during the shoot, tell him how, how much my mother really, really liked him. And I, I did, too. I did, I did, too. But how much my mother really liked him. And uh, he was gracious enough to uh, to take uh, a photo, him and I, together. And he said, give this to your mother. And, and, and I did. I did. Yeah. 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 Wow. He was uh, a very nice man. Very, very nice man. That's awesome. I got chills just telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> 
Richard, obviously you've done a lot of voice work. Was it your intention to specifically navigate your way into the voiceover world or did it kind of just happen naturally? It, it happened that way. I mean, uh, I think a good deal of this, I mean, I, I don't know what the uh, the benchmark is maybe today, but I, you know, I grew up again with, with my, I mean, I don't want to think that my grandfather was constantly in our house, but he was. <laughs> Uh, but we would watch, uh, you know, the Warner Brothers uh, cartoons, you know, the, the Chuck Jones stuff, the Mel Blanc of, um, characterizations. Now, as you, I'm sure know, a lot of the early ones, first of all, they're never made for kids. I mean, there are the movie theaters and they were sort of like in between, you know, newsreels or whatever. They would show these um, Warner Brothers, Bugs Bunny or, or what have you. And a lot of them were geared to that audience. I mean, before televisions really started coming uh, along and they started playing cartoons on TV constantly and they started to tailor um, that humor um, and the cartoons themselves for a younger audience. But uh, initially, they weren't so much, I mean, you know, buy war bonds and this, that. I mean, it wasn't for kids, right? Yeah. It was played in the show in the movie theaters. Well, I can remember my grandfather, my dad, my uncles, whoever was there laughing their buns off at, at you know, Bugs Bunny or whatever's, uh, whatever. There was a foghorn leghorn was another one uh <laughs> laughing their, their buns off and i just didn't get the jokes because it was tailored for really for adults at that time the older one and i loved i mean who doesn't i mean mel blank's uh characterizations and this man was just so talented it's beyond stupid i mean he just he was just so talented so that was that was me liking cartoons and liking the voices it certainly started with that that's that's for sure mm. uh, but i was doing that play i was just talking to you about sheer madness in, in Montreal. And there was a, uh, a voice director who came in to see the show and uh, he was doing as people still do here. I mean, Montreal's a Mecca. It's a hub for, for, for dubbing in Canada. And we're a world leader uh, in, in dubbing. So a lot of cartoons, a lot of animation and certainly a lot of dub films. Anyway, he, he more, he did live action uh, dubs, but he did a lot of animation and he saw me on stage, loved the play, talked to me afterwards and asked me what you just asked me. So have you ever thought about doing cartoons? You ever thought about doing voices? So, uh, it was a very specific voice I put on for this character in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, in uh, Sheer Madness and, and Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> I said, uh, no, but I'd love to. And so he got me in to do a couple, you know, small parts of the cartoons. And I, I just loved it. First of all, I'm very comfortable in front of a microphone. I just love it. I love being in a studio. So I did a, I did a few voices for him in, in a couple of projects at the beginning. Then he had me audition for the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Now, this was a 156-episode contract, and these are 30-minute episodes. I think they tailor, I think they splice some together to make four cartoon animated movies about 60 or 70 minutes long out of all of them. But it was 52, 52 episodes times three, and I was lucky enough to get the Scarecrow. And that, whew, Wow, what a learning experience. <laughs> Teaching you how to do the rhythmo band, which is a very specialized uh, technique, as I was mentioning to you earlier. You learn. I had to learn. I mean, was <laughs> sinker. I was new to that. I learned so much about dubbing, about doing cartoon voices from that 156 uh, episode run. I mean, half hours run. I mean, not that they're unheard of now, but they're certainly not as common as they were at that time. I mean, 30 minutes is 30 minutes. It was 22 and a half or whatever it is than commercials. That was a, that was a heck of a, that, that was, that was cartoon university for me. You kind of just mentioned it, the, specifically in the 90s, it seemed like Toronto was a hub and it was just, it was booming in the 90s, specifically for voice acting. Why do you think that is? Toronto was certainly booming, but what I meant was uh, Montreal. Montreal was, I mean, CNR, if you look up CNR, if you, if you haven't already, CNR was like, uh, they were doing... You name it, Little Lulu. They were doing uh, House of Munch. They were doing. Uh, they were doing Arthur. They were. Do I mean, the list goes on and on and on. That was Cinar. That was the uh, the golden days of Cinar. Then things went went awry. As you you may know there was financial things. People taking money and that shouldn't have. And so, allegedly, allegedly uh, <laughs> taking money uh, that shouldn't have. You know, family <laughs> family run companies said uh, that were now open to shareholders because they went on the market. They were still kind of operating it like a like a family-run company and not perhaps allegedly declaring what they should have and et cetera, et cetera. Then that that kind of so Sinar went out of the uh out of the equation and 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 uh investors turned elsewhere and producers turned elsewhere. 
Toronto and Vancouver specifically. Right. But Montreal, just because of the connection with Europe, for example, for this rhythmo band that I'm talking to you about, which is a very spe specific technique. And only at that time, only at that time in Canada, Montreal was the only place that had a rhythmo band. Toronto, I think one or two studios after that, subsequent to that, did get them. Vancouver, much, much after that. I work a lot with companies in Los Angeles. I think there's two there that I'm aware of to this day as we speak. And I think they it's mostly Spanish into uh, to English. It's a it's a wonderful, wonderful technique. Uh, as I mentioned to you with the Rhythmo Band and the words going across the screen, it's much, much, much faster than a beep or a wipe, much more accurate because you literally have a detector uh, and his or her job is to look at the lips specifically every labial every diphthong everything they mark down and then an adapter takes that and adapts the japanese german french whatever into english so it's as opposed to a translation and adaptation so it sounds like the way we're speaking right now that it's natural so that's uh so montreal was and still is in in canada um the leader the leaders though so there was tons of animation done then it died down after the cnr fiasco and now it has certainly come back i'm seeing animation done here now that i haven't seen in 15 years that's for sure it's quite a bit of it so i know you're a voice director as well richard just take us through what some of your duties are as a voice director what's a typical day look like a typical day is uh well i'll be doing pickups right now i, I can't i can talk about it i mean as i told you I, i've done the last six uh assassin's creed so i'm doing pickups today on a on one of their games that'll be coming out very soon so what i this is sort of different because this is all COVID now otherwise i would be in a studio and i'd be directing the actor there and i still am i still am but with uh ubisoft what we've been doing recently they would send me to like they want to have the original they want to have the real accents so we went to um to london to do a lot of the last assassin's creeds uh the valhalla the valhalla one to get icelandic accents norwegian accents and get, to get the real accents as well as certainly as uh, as british i directed some of the people in copenhagen as well the two leads because they want ubisoft wanted those real accents now with the pandemic I went as late as February, I think it was, of 2020. I'd been, I don't know, a half dozen times, I guess, directing for that one game. Then suddenly COVID hit, the pandemic. We would record as you and I are doing right now. So the, uh, the talent would be in a studio. More times than not, they're in a home studio, though. Ubisoft would provide the microphone. I mean, provide all the equipment. Then someone in a real studio would be doing all the, um, you know, the balancing the sound, making sure everything's, you know, right in that that way. All the the real technical stuff that makes it so uh, so wonderful at the end of the day. But I directed people, and to God, not unusual for closets, in closets, dining rooms, tool sheds, furnace rooms, uh, you name it. During the pandemic. People were just cobbling together a studio at their homes, the talent, wherever they could, right? And wherever it sounded the best. Um, so we were uh, we were doing a lot of that. This uh, the pandemic. That's my long way of saying the uh, the pandemic and what we were going through at that time certainly has changed the way that uh, I I'm recording uh, these days, which is like this over the air. So so people in the studio will be doing the actual, as they say, you know, the real mix and, and everything right. else, directing the talent uh, the way. So you'd be the actor, Justin, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm directing you, you know. Right. So gotcha. we see each other, perhaps you're in a microphone and, and, and I go through it. So it's it's much like a, uh, uh, maybe not as glamorous, but much like as a movie director, I'm working with the talent. Well, clearly, I need to know the script uh, almost as well as the writer. Um, and I go through the... Uh, the scenes with the uh with the talent so more times than not i'll read off for the talent so they've got somebody to you know to play off of i'll be the other person in the scene if you will they're behind the microphone and i'll take them through it and i'll direct them um in their performance we do two takes per line we decide right away as to which is a keeper which is a, an alt if we don't like it if we need to tweak it we'll do it again and that sort of thing and that's how we get through it so how did you make the graduation, I guess you could say, from, you know, working on voices to voice director? Well, my uh, my my mentor, uh, Tim Reed, the one that directed me in those uh, 156 episodes of The Wizard of Oz, he uh, became ill one day. The producer um, asked me of this, whatever, the, I can't even remember what the project was, asked me if I would be interested in, in filling in for Tim. Tim was out, I think it was just the flu. I think he was out for like a week, something like that. So I filled in for him. 
So another project came along that uh, Tim couldn't do. Uh, he was committed to something else. And that producer asked me if I'd be interested in directing this series. And I said, sure, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, so that from there, it just it went on. I mean, I'm on both sides of the glass. I'm on, uh, you know, I'm voice talent and voice directing. Doing a lot of voice directing these days, that's for sure, and have for a number of years. But I also certainly am still on the other side of the glass. But it was because of Tim, because of Tim. Unfortunately, Tim, uh, became quite ill and, and passed away and uh, he had cancer. He, uh, he passed away, but he was my mentor. He was just, he was incredible. I learned so much from that man. I mean, so much. And those of my generation in, in, in dubbing, same thing. His name always comes up. So when you look back over your career, Richard, is there a voice in particular that you'd rather not do again? Maybe one that was extra hard on the vocal cords? There's a, oh, there's a few of them. I just finished doing, a, um, I think I can talk about this. I'm pretty sure I can. It's because it's not quite finished yet. It's it's not quite finished yet, but I, they had a they had a trailer, I believe, out. I believe I can talk about it. It's called uh, Butterfly Tale. And that, uh, I play uh, I play the bad guy, but it's very much, you know, down in here and uh, that sort of thing. That, okay, you can, you can do that for, you know, 90 seconds, you know, <laughs> whatever. But for doing it for, because uh, we you generally work in four-hour blocks when you're doing a, a lead a character, that 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 is straining on the voice, I found. And the higher pitch ones, too, but that, that because uh, I do a few like that, <laughs> uh, like, like Jay. And uh, that, that after a while, it's, it's tiring on the voice. That's for damn sure. I could taste the blood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's good. And you know it's good. <laughs> You're killing it. <laughs> yeah, it's mine. <laughs> so you work with your voice a lot, obviously. Do you do uh, vocal exercises or do you drink teas to keep the money yeah. maker fresh? Yeah, tea and uh, tea with honey uh, at times in the studio, that's for sure. But I almost do a warm-up. Yeah, I power walk, and there's a studio that I work at quite a bit that's only about, say, a mile and a half away from, from where I am right now. I power walk there listening to the Beatles. And there's more times than not, I'll be singing along. <laughs> not quite as good as either John or Paul, <laughs> but uh, uh, just to warm up my voice. When I'm in the car, I'm going to a, um, to a studio to to work that's you know further away than this one. I always, you know, sing or, or something in the uh, the car. That's for sure, just to warm up before I get there. Every time I'm making it mine. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way Paul should have sang it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. What does he know? <laughs> what? Yeah. What does he know? <laughs> so, Richard, be it stage, screen, or behind the booth, when you look back over your career, what would you say is the most challenging role that you've had? Maybe you've lost sleep over. That I've lost sleep over an actual role. I, I honest to God can't think of one off the top of my head that I would go, oh, I don't want to go in the studio and do that that role again. I can't think of one. There have been perhaps I've been I, I've been honored enough to work on some really good stuff, and I've been <laughs> working, worked on some not so good stuff. Uh, so the not so good stuff, I'm never keen to go back in the studio but i do but can i think of a role off the top of my head i i honestly can't i honestly i'm sure there are like when you and i you know when we stop this i'll go oh, geez, of course yeah the bippity, bippity the penguin god i hated that <laughs> i probably will but right now i can't think of one. <laughs> that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs> here's something i like to ask everybody because you never know what they're going to say have you ever had an experience that you would consider paranormal or supernatural I mean, yeah, I did. And it was actually in a studio. My uh, my half brother had just passed away. He had a childhood um, illness, and uh, frankly, didn't expect him to live as long as he did. But uh, he, he he succumbed to it. And he passed. And I remember I was in the studio, and I was at the engineer has got his console there, and I'm at a desk with the script, and I'm looking at the talent and talking, whatever. And I had a can of diet. I'll never forget this. See, I talked about the chills. I'm getting it again. I had a can of Diet Coke there beside the script on the desk, and it started, uh, I kid you not, it started to move. This is about two or three days after my, my brother passed. It started to move. It started, now I'm sure what it was looking back, and it was probably the condensation of the, the cold can and the warm desk and the droplets of the water, and it caused it to, because it just, you, know, you can see my hand, it just started to, to glide like that, only about maybe 10, 12 inches, and then it stopped. But I was looking at it, and I started to get scared. I'm thinking, what the hell is this? I'm sure that's what it was, the, the water droplets and all the rest. But when it was happening, I was just, I was freaked. <laughs> so. I know we're down here in the South and I've had plenty of Diet Coke sitting on a hot table and they haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, you don't have the cold like we've got right here. <laughs> oh, that's something to do with it—the low, low pressure and the high pressure. And the whole thing. But yeah, but no, that's that's—I I don't even know if I can call that a paranormal. I call it freaky. I guess that's that's close <laughs> enough for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. So, so what's that's the best it. acting advice you've received in your career? <laughs> Spencer Tracy said, "Right, it's just go on, remember your lines, and try not to bump into furniture." <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's yeah. Try not to uh, try not to hit anything. Try not to have any coins <laughs> in your pocket when you're at the microphone because apparently it picks it up. Ah, funny that the microphone picks up that stuff. Jinga jinga jinga. Can you are you picking this up? Are you picking this up? Yes, yes, we are. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think that's it. <laughs> really, that's a good one. <laughs> you got to be in the microphone for that. But yes, yeah. <laughs> Is there anything in, on the horizon for you that you can share without getting into trouble? Well, like I, as I mentioned to you, the rumor has it we'll be doing a fifth season of uh, Agent John. I just love the cartoon. I mean, I really do. I get to, I, I'm, I'm honored and privileged to be able to adapt it for the uh, for the screen. I play one of the leads in it, a character I, I love called WXT, and I get to voice direct it. It's a triple header for me. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that's, that's one. <laughs> <laughs> Did I already talk to you about, uh, maybe I didn't, um, uh, on Netflix right now, um, Alice in Borderland. It's uh, based on a, a Japanese graphic novel. I directed season one of that. There was nine episodes, I think. Uh, almost, almost two years ago now. Well, I just, in fact, we're still doing pickups. I just finished doing season two of Alice in Borderland. It's just, uh, it's one of these things where people are just being chased. They're, they're, they're being, uh, they're, they're, they're being killed. It's a game. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a series of, um, about games, if you will. You have to play a game. And if you lose the game, you are instantly killed. I mean, instantly killed. If you survive the game you're, you're in at this moment, you survive and you win, you get to go on to play the next game. <laughs> And you may die in that game. It's, it really keeps you at the edge of your seat. Um, anyway, as I say, season one's on Netflix right now. Season two, I'm not sure when it'll be out. I'm guessing the spring in English. Just finishing up uh, that right now. Finishing up the, the pickups on this game I was talking to you about for uh, for Ubisoft. And that's it for the moment. Thank you. By the way, Justin, my my uh, my half brother's name was Justin. Is oh, Justin? Wow. Yeah. 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 Coincidence. Oh, wow. thank you so much. Well written, Justin. Well written. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Richard, it's oh, been a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you, man. Me and Angelique yeah. both enjoyed ourselves. Oh, well, thank you. Now, is it pronounced uh, Angelique or uh, I'm sorry, you probably well, said it's, it's Angelique, could be Angelique, uh, Angelique, but I was named after the witch from Dark Shadows. Oh, seriously? Yes. Oh, <laughs> well, you're, I love, that's a, such a pretty name. It's such thank a pretty you. name. I should have started off with that, right? Yeah, next time I'll lead with that. Next time I'll lead with that. Okay. <laughs> oh, we'd love to have you back. Uh, anytime, anytime. This has been a real pleasure. It's been fun. I had a lot of fun, actually. You made me think of things, uh, of stories, of people that I perhaps have met and have been lucky enough to maybe to work with that I haven't thought about in quite a while. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for You're sharing so it with us, Richard. Thank you. It, it, my pleasure. I assure you, my pleasure. You have a great day. You too. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Right. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Sorry, I have a cold. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how to stop the recording. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to do it. Slash and cast. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Richard. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters Madness and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine 
a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.